to episode 10 of the God Learners, a podcast about gaming and reading in the mythical world of Glorantha. I am Ludovic, aka Lord Abdul. I am Jörg, and we have a very special guest today. Yes, we have uh, Rick Mainz, the president of Chaosium. Hi, Rick. Hello, everybody. Great to see you again, Ludo and Jörg. Always a pleasure to chat with old friends. <laughs> thanks, for, uh, thanks for coming over, taking the time and all that. And before we dive into uh, the whole interview with uh, Rick, we'll do a bit of news and stuff like that. Uh, I want to remind our dear listeners that we have a newsletter, the Journal of Runic Studies, uh, in which I try to collate all of the Glorentha or Glorentha adjacent news of the week. It's, you know, released on Sundays or Mondays, depending on how much free time I have. Uh, you can subscribe by email or RSS, or if you're some kind of savage, you can click on some link every week or something. Um, I try to advertise the newsletter in you know, Facebook and Twitter and Discord and all that. So if you want to know almost everything that happened about Glorenta every week, and there's actually quite a lot, then uh, you can subscribe to that. But yep. we've got a few highlights, maybe. Uh, Jörg, what was cool that happened since the last episode, so which would be roughly a month. Well, um, my big news is that Ian Thompson finally uh, manages to bring back his uh, Pevis works, which yeah. came out uh, at the German conventions. Mm -hmm. uh, they are going to be on Johnson and yeah, Rick is just showing us all the... I'm holding him nice up to the microphone. <laughs> yeah. yeah. The nice books that he is going to auction off uh, at the Chaosium convention. Yeah, w would those be part of the auction or those would be part of like some of the sales at the booth? If I have multiple copies, they'll probably be at the booth. Yeah. If I only have one set like these, oh. uh, at least a lot of these, I'll, I'll be auctioning some of the rarer individual ones that I have, but there are one or two issues uh, that I had when I was, I was a distributor of these in the United States. Yeah. And so if I have 20 of them, they're going to be on the stand and you'll be able to get them for like whatever they retailed for back in the day. Ooh, nice. So there are some issues of trade talk, some issues of tales, of the reaching moon, some issues of ebook of tentacles. I've got 10, 20 of them in the downstairs, just, Ooh, nice. Looking for a better home. So, yeah, those will be on the I'll, stand. I'll be able to finish my collection. Can you uh, actually um, say quickly what those Pavis Companions from Jan Thompson are that might be coming back to Johnson Companion? Like what was in them? Ooh, uh, basi basically, it's about a couple of years uh, worth of uh, role playing in Pavis. It's probably a good 500 pages of material. Yeah. Yeah. It covers both the city of, you know, new city of New Pavis, mm -hmm. but also a lot of big rubble locations that only got a short description, maybe a single paragraph or even a single mm -hmm. couple of sentences in the original Pavis and big rubble box sets by Chiasium back in the 80s. Yeah. Yeah. And so it, it greatly expands upon all that information. Cool. If you ever wonder what X was on the map where it said just L4, you'll have probably, you know, three paragraphs or more including maybe a scenario adventure seed to NPCs and whatever else from Ian Thompson and crew. Yeah. Nice. Yeah. Uh, but a lot yeah, of Dario yeah, art. A lot yeah. of Dario art. Oh yeah. Uh, yeah. Ian was uh, hunting down all the artists and contributors to get their approval to uh, release it again. Uh, and it should make its way to the Johnson Compendium sometime this year. Hopefully. I think so. Yeah. I think so. 
other news, uh, I've been catching up on the RuneQuest starter stream, which is the, I guess, more official and professionally made uh, RuneQuest actual play on Chaosium's YouTube channel. Um, I don't know if Jeff's more like homemade um, game is going to come back. I think it was supposed to come back. But in the meantime, we have this one, which is very nice and is jammed by uh, James Coquilla. And um, it's pretty good. I like it, uh, especially compared to the other actual plays out there about the starter set adventures. Like James is taking his time to, you know, spread out the the story over a few sessions and uh, letting the uh, role playing happen between players and doing the downtime activities and all that. So it's it's pretty nice, and it's also nice to see what it looks like for new players to RuneQuest to stop playing with quest because you can tell that you know they have to look up rules and they make mistakes and all that so it's it's nice so i hope that uh, continues beyond the starter set adventures spoiler it didn't yeah speaking of starter set oh yeah <laughs> well, we had Baz's uh test run really yeah. it's yeah uh so Baz stevens did a podcast called runquest year zero where he reads the starter set in detail uh, knowing that he comes to RuneQuest almost knowing nothing. Like he played one game of RuneQuest 20 years ago or something, and that's it. Uh, and it was, I thought it was like very interesting, even though I didn't agree with everything he was saying. Like yeah, he, he made a lot of great points about like the, the strong points and the weak points of yeah. the starter set. So that was, that was really great. And I would recommend everybody to uh, listen to that. It's a short podcast series. There's only like less than a dozen episodes or something and it just reached a conclusion recently so you've got the whole yeah. series now and you might hear my voice as a, a call-in uh, among the many callers that uh, sent messages that uh, so yeah yeah <laughs> did you listen to it uh, rich only bits and pieces i yeah. unfortunately have a limited amount of time for podcasts yeah, yeah. so i mean you know when you guys put an hour and a half out there you know I, that that kind of cuts into my time to listen to other podcasts so. <laughs> yes. yeah you know if it's 15 minutes i usually jump right in but if it's if it's a much yeah. longer one then it takes me a little bit longer to get around to them but sooner or later i get around to all of them yeah oh, cool. Yeah. there's certainly a, a number of them out there that are wonderful to listen to and have them on in the background, but yeah, still got a few recommendations to get. for players of Chaosium games. I, I find a lot of what, well, depending on the game, of course, there are different avenues, but between what we have on Twitch and what's available on YouTube, I, I, I trickler shout out to Seth Skorkowski and his oh, yeah. Call of Cthulhu podcast. His is wonderful. It's one, and he's in other awards. Yeah, always trying to make time to listen to Seth. And of course he's going to be at chaosium con. Yeah. He's, he's one of our guests. Yeah. And so looking forward to him doing something kind of live and in person and <laughs> at the con. And so always got time for Seth. Yeah. And so there, there are a number of great ones. I, I hate to single too many out just because then I feel like I'm passing over too many. others. talk about mine. Talk about mine. Yeah. Yes. No. Yeah. No, Seth is definitely on my, uh, at the top of my list. So hi Seth. Yeah. Probably not listening to this anyway. Um, anyway, um, I think that's it for news. Unless you have anything else, Jörg? Yeah, the uh, Johnstone Compendium has been quite uh, quiet in the last uh, months also. Yeah. A few maps again, but I think that's about it, uh, what we had. 
Yeah. Well, I mean, if people want something to buy, they can buy my adventure. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Called a short detour. It's nice, supposedly. Uh, and I should be able to, I'm hopefully going to put up my second adventure, which is shorter <laughs> in the next few weeks before I um, embark on writing my whole uh, Goonies in Glorantha kids campaign, which I started writing and I'm like, oh my God, this is going to take ages. So yeah, that's going to be interesting. I, I actually had to move some of the product off of one of the shelves here just because I, I decided to get all of my Johnstown Compendium printed books, Ooh. of which I pretty much got them all, at least yeah up to whatever came out in the last couple of weeks. Usually about once a month, I try to get whatever's out there. And it's already about, oh, two feet of shelf space, you know, yeah. half a meter for you Europeans, you know. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yes. I, I hope you managed to get Valley of Plenty before it was taken off. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I, I, I All the back catalog, I've, I've definitely got it. Like I said, pretty much about once a month, I cool. yeah. go on and just order all the whatever's come out in print. Yeah. I just use Nick Brooks list to let me know when stuff came out and remind me of what's <laughs> on there, whether it's in print. And then I, I just grab yeah. based on that list. It's, it's a wonderful, it's a wonderful product Nick's put together on cataloging all everything that's on the Johnstown compendium. Yeah. And it's, it makes shopping so much easier. Yeah. And, <laughs> and preparing too, because like he's got also the uh, scenarios sort of geolocalized. So you can look at my players are, here and you can look at the map and see if there's any johnson companion scenarios that you can run as a little kind of interlude or or or, or even like if it's a, a big scenario uh, so mm -hmm. so yeah it's, it's useful also to to prep very yeah. very very worth the small cost nick charges for that you get all yeah. the updates for free so just buy it once yeah. and, and just enjoy yeah. it and buy it early yeah. yeah it gets more expensive uh, the longer it gets <laughs> <laughs> so uh let's move on to the main topic uh rick first we might want to actually properly introduce you uh because uh, you've got a fairly interesting history with Chaosium that sort of ties in into the, um, the topics we want to talk about here, which is like, you know, the history of Glorantha publishing and, um, and collecting. You've told the story, you know, several times out there. So people who want extra details, it's maybe we'll find some links to put in the show notes. But what is the kind of abridged version of how uh, a kid who plays RuneQuest eventually becomes a hardcore Chaosium fanboy and eventually becomes the president. Well, it, it started in the 90s when I started going to RuneQuest cons. And that's where I met Greg Stafford for the first time. And it was a wonderful hour-long conversation where I got to geek out, showing him a lot of my early RuneQuest you know, items that mm -hmm. I had in the comic book comic book box that I brought along with me. He autographed a lot of them for me and he, we chatted about a lot of those and we, we hit it off. And he even, one of my favorite ones is in cults of Prax. He autographed it. May Isseries guide your path. And <laughs> that one's kind of stuck with me. And you, you, you were playing a lot of Isseries characters, I think, right? 
Yes, that was that's my prime RuneQuest character. That's my yeah. go-to character class, so to speak, yeah. or my go-to cult. I, I usually play an Isseries Merchant because the first campaign I played through was Griffin Mountain. Right. And I got to work on Joe Myth's Caravan. And I really liked, you know, so much about the setting and going to Gonorda's Castle and everything else that, yeah, I, I first character, second character, and third character were all Isseries <laughs> Merchants. But, you know, in the 90s, it was such a wonderful fan scene where you could you know especially at you know 100 to 200 person conventions be it convulsion in the uk uh, tentacles in germany and the various RuneQuest cons that were both in the united states and overseas you, you got to get to know people and you were part of a tribe that was very active very creative very accepting very supportive just wonderful to be a part of and mm -hmm. That's also where I met Nick Brooke is at RuneQuest Con 1, and he invited me to visit him in the UK, and I got involved with Tales of the Reaching Moon, and that got me involved with publishing a little bit, and the relationship with Greg Stafford and many of the other people at Chaosium grew from there, and it got to the point of where I wanted to do some publishing myself, so I started working with... Uh, you know, Moon Design as just myself and Colin Phillips. And then over time, Jeff Richard and Neil Robinson and Michael O'Brien joined, mm -hmm. but started out doing the Glorantha Classics reprints, which were pretty successful. And it showed Greg in particular that we could run a business as a publishing outfit. We, we paid him in full and on time, which is always nice. Mm -hmm. Greg always liked that. Yeah. And he liked the quality of what we were producing. And we became a licensee publisher for HeroQuest items back when Isseries Inc. was still around. And then when Greg wanted to retire and go to Mexico and do other things, he allowed us to be the HeroQuest publisher. And just all along the way, just we got more involved in publishing, a little bit larger operation. He saw that we ran a business well and produced good products to the point of where when Chaosium was going through a rough patch and was really financially struggling in particular, he said, you know, we could really use business people like yourselves in the company but I don't think you'd ever take the job. And yeah. it just so happens I was at, after 26 years in the automotive industry, I was ready for a change. Mm -hmm. And my wife was willing to let me make that change. <laughs> and so that's when I kind of turned to pro, so to speak. And in 2015, hard to believe it's almost seven years ago in June. That's yeah. when I, you know, Greg was driving me to the airport in Oakland. And on the way to the airport, he said, so do you want the job? And he shook my hand and I uh, keep that picture on my mobile phone to this day of shaking the hand and accepting the, you know, presidency of Chaosium as wow, my job. Nice. And I hope it's the last job I ever have. And I hope to have it for a long time. Yeah. Yeah. Well, we hope to, because yeah, Chaosium has been doing like very well for the past few years. And I think like um, even the, uh, what is it like the uh, Annie's fan, um, fan favorite publisher, awards that Chaosium got in the first few years after that uh, kind of are proof that a lot of people really yeah. appreciated the, uh, the the new the new direction there yeah and this is this is pretty much when I uh, actually got started in RuneQuest I knew that Chaosium was struggling financially so when the RuneQuest classic Kickstarter was done I was like, oh, you know, I'll, I'll throw money at Chaosium just to to help them out a bit, and I I, I got that, and I I was like, you know, I heard about RuneQuest, I never checked it, I have no idea what it is, so, uh, but whatever, I'll just throw money at Chaosium to help, um, and then I got the books, uh, but didn't really open them because 
I had no particular interest in the RuneQuest, but I think it's after when Chaosium sent me the the coupon, like some small coupon, like 20 bucks for the guide to Glorantha or something like that. And I'm a big fan of maps. And I saw it was like a gigantic mm-hmm. book of lore with maps and stuff. And I'm like, oh, this is my jam. And this is how I got started really in Glorantha. It's with a $20 coupon for the guide to Glorantha. <laughs> Well, you know, it, it's habit forming and we, we glad you formed the habit. So. <laughs> Welcome to the tribe. You know, it, it takes some people a little bit longer to get there, but once they get there, it's usually a wonderful experience. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Anyway, yeah. so one thing of note, uh, you've been publishing articles on the Chaosium blog called like Out of the Suitcase with lots of absolutely wonderful, you know, rare Chaosium uh collector stuff like uh you know old books and, and stuff like that and you always had like a, a big collection of Chaosium. like at some point i think you were you even had like a, a totally unofficial subscription to all of the Chaosium products right it's a wonderful yeah. thing where i was traveling a lot for work and sometime in the late 90s I just made the offer because Chaosium was buying from me the Moon Design Glorantha Classics and then selling them on their website. And, you know, sh- sh- sending a bit of cash for those and all that. I'm like, look, how about this? We'll keep it really simple. Everything you publish, doesn't matter what it is, just put one of it in a box. If it's a different printing, I want the different printings. I want the different editions. You don't have to slice and dice it. Just every time something comes out, just put it in the box. And when the box is basically full and just tape it up and ship it, here's my address. I'll, you know, I usually had it sent to my office address and they knew to just put these aside until I came back into town or whatever. And then they would just tell me what was owed off of the balance they owed me for Glorantha Classics. And so they even gave me a pretty good deal on that. They didn't charge me full retail. And so for about 10 years, I pretty much had a subscription to where they had, they just sent me a lovely box of stuff. That's why I got all the various Chaosium monographs, both in the tape spine and the regular perfect bound versions. And I got Miskatonic university, you know, 20th anniversary limited editions and, you know, some of the rarer stuff because I just said, don't, (laughs) don't worry about what it is. Yeah. You know, just don't make unique items just for me. Okay. And then charge me a thousand (laughs) bucks each, but you know, just anything like that, it all went into those boxes and it it made it a lot easier uh, to keep up with what they had. And I I don't think I would have ever gotten some of those things, you know, Gen Con limited editions, uh, initial first draft printings, things like that. I don't think I would have been able to back catalog all those things or would have taken me a long, long time if I just didn't have that subscription. Is Chaosium ever going to make actual real subscriptions? Doubtful. Yeah. Doubtful. <laughs> we we have people that are regulars that, you know, buy direct and buy all our stuff, especially they'll come by the convention booth and say, okay, got it, got it, got it. Oh, don't have this one yeah. set it aside. And then just got it, got it. Oh, don't have this one set it aside. And then just bring the big yeah. stack to the yeah. checkout. So we have a number of people like that, but Chaosium is a wonderful company for quirky behaviors and things like that. And there was a time when they had their own warehouse where it would be easy just to, okay, for Rick, because he's, we're selling his books, we'll set this aside. But Chaosium grown enough in size and we don't have that dedicated warehouse where Chaosium staff can just, you know, tuck something into a box all the time that it'd be, it'd be right. difficult to have. It's just, uh, I mean, 
generally speaking, I see I see a lot of business models going with subscription options uh, just because it it provides like a a more stable and predictable source of revenue or something like that. And I see that even for some, uh... <laughs> it's tempting. You know, I'm all for stable revenue. You know, I'm I'm the Isseries <laughs> guy. I'm I'm happy to do that. I, it, it's just that it's it it sounds really cool, but. Yeah, the, if we figure it out, we'll definitely do it. Are just uh, a bit more complicated than than what's worth. Yeah, fair enough. Mm-hmm. Um, anyway, your collecting and all that basically puts you, I suppose, like just as any other collector, you had like some spreadsheets and things like that to track what you had. But eventually, you made a book about it, and there's a new edition of that book coming out. It's called the uh, um, uh, Minds Index to Glorantha. It's only for Glorantha related products. But um, since a new edition is coming out, can you talk about like how it came to be and how the new edition is coming and when it's coming out and what's in it and all that? This is where Jurg and I look at each other and say, where does the time go? (laughs) (laughs) Because I'm sure Jurg was there when we first sold the 1996 version of MIG, you know, the the larger format one. And then... And then in 99, we pub- I published the second edition of the MIG, the MIG-2. Yeah. And then I just moved on to other things. I set it aside and didn't worry about it. I occasionally added things onto my collector lists and all that. But I just decided after 20 years, it was in, in about 2019, I'm like, I really need to update this thing because there's a lot of great stuff that's come out. How did you even decide to make the first one? I... I got tired of trying to remember where things were at in my collection because <laughs> it, it, this, this was kind of pre serious internet where now you can Google something and get to all kinds of things a lot more easily. There's websites that have good summaries or even tables of contents in there. But I got tired of saying now what book had spell X in it or creature Y, you know, okay. I, I know that more were written up in worms footnotes but I didn't want to have to go through six issues of Worms Footnotes remembering it. And so I just came up with, you know, here's a list of articles that are in Worms Footnotes 1 through 14, different worlds every issue. After a while, I got tired of, I would spend more time trying to find something than I was actually reading it when I found it. Or even more frustratingly, sometimes I wouldn't find it for an hour and I'd just give up and say, I'll go yeah. back to it later. I'm sure Jurgen can relate when you're trying to find where was I know it was in one of these things. Yeah, and I so, made a database for that. <laughs> yeah, well, I, I'm 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 not as clever with databases as people like Jurgen are. So I I mainly did this all in Microsoft Word, typed it all up, and then I did the layout in PageMaker back then, which you know that went the way of the dodo about 10, 15 years ago, and so now it's an InDesign, but. You know, the 120-page version that was last done, when I updated it, it's now 264 pages. So besides the, you know, big effort of adding everything to the to that index that was released between, uh, what was it, like 1999 and now, so, you know, all of the all of the books that were released in the in the meantime it looks like you also went and added a lot of older stuff also that you had missed the first times or that surfaced now that you have access to the Chaosium archives and all that well there's there's a there's a couple of factors you're absolutely right i now that i'm the keeper of the Chaosium archives 
and I can dip into various things. I, I found out a lot of things that I just wasn't aware of, especially a lot of back history, including some projects that never were. And so, yeah, having access to the Chiasm archives really helped. But also, there are so many more resources on the internet now where you can track things down and find out, you know, magazine lists or where articles might be. And that allowed me to add things to my collection that I just didn't know about back then. And then of course, there's the wonderful fellowship of collectors of all things, RuneQuest and Glorantha that are happy to tell me what I missed. (laughs) (laughs) And so I I appreciate that, you know, because it, it is incredibly helpful. They've sent me their spreadsheets or lists. And so there are, there are a number of people that I thank in the latest edition because they were very helpful and very constructive. And I, I think there was also a little certain delight in like, I know something that Rick didn't know. <laughs> when it came to, uh, you know, an issue of this magazine or that magazine or whatever. Yeah. And I, I was also able, thanks to the internet, to track down a lot of people and talk to a lot of people that I just couldn't find when it was like, what am I going to do? Look them up in the phone book. <laughs> you know, it, it, yeah. and so it, this is the internet. I actually got to track down a wide variety of people from William church, the cartographer, a lot of RuneQuest two era maps. I got to chat with him on the phone and same thing with John Sapienza, who did all the various RuneQuest character sheets, be it Mark 1 through Mark 6 or 7 or whatever he got up to. And they shared a lot of great stories and information. I had long chats with people like Ken Ralston, who sent me about 12 unpublished manuscripts. Wow. <laughs> and from the Avalon Hill RQ3 wow. days. And... So I, I just found about so many people like that. I just got to chat with them about what their involvement was. I, I tracked down all kinds of former Chaosium and Avalon Hill people. I chatted with Dave Dabisky, the <laughs> infamous RQ3 oh, artist. Right. Yes. And, yeah. and he was a delight to talk to. He, had, he enjoyed He had, hadn't talked about it in a long time. But he was a pleasure to talk to about it. And he had a great sense of humor about the whole <laughs> time back then and what he did. He's like, you know, fresh out of school. You know, Keen working at Avalon Hill, they are the big dog of the wargaming industry and all that. And he was happy to do whatever they told him to do. He's like, well, I'm not much of an artist, but if you want me to draw the Crimson Bat, who am I to say no? <laughs> and so, and so he, 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 he laughed as much as anybody else did about it. And so he and, you know, he's moved on to other things. He, he's not much of a gamer, but he was happy to talk about stories like that. And so I, it, it's been a real pleasure getting to track down people. Mm-hmm usually via the internet or Facebook and things like that. And just say, you got a little bit of time to talk about the old days and almost categorically, they're all like, absolutely. So is the new edition of the Minds Next to Glorenta, I mean, I know that we usually don't ask for dates, but uh, I think you had planned. Uh, oh, yes, you, you had planned to release it at least for, to have it available at Chaosium Con. Is that still on the table? It's, I'm going to have a few copies okay. there. It's not going to be for general sale because it's not the gen- it's not the regular print run yet. I, I I have some very nice, well-meaning copy editors and proofreaders who want to give it that more professional touch than I personally add when I type this stuff up, and it's it and so it's taken a little bit longer to get it through that, and so it's it's ready to print, and I've actually got some advanced copies I'm going to be printing and bringing with me. Uh, but it's not going to be for general sale at the con, unfortunately. We we missed that window by about three weeks. No worries. But this, this, it's definitely very, very soon. 
I, you know, I, I, I'm happy to either give you some sample pages if you want to show a few pages off. I, I put one or two on Facebook. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we, we saw the ones you, uh, you shared on Facebook. It, it's full color this time, at least in terms of all the actual items. And there are a lot more photographs. It's, it's a lot more visual than the last edition including a lot of pictures of miniatures, other bits of esoteric chaosium things, you know, a lot of, if you want to know what the differences between various box sets are and things like that, it's, it's a lot more detail in in this. Is it still uh, uh, like fanzine format or is it letter size now? It's going to be, it's going to be an eight and a half by 11 hardcover full cover book. Fancy. Yeah. And Mm -hmm. uh, I mean, I saw the back cover leaked and that, (laughs) really reminded me of some other product <laughs> you mean you mean like this yeah, <laughs> yeah exactly yeah i i decided well, hey why not I, I realized there were a lot of similarities and you know i had no trouble getting permission to use that format so <laughs> yeah. yes the yeah, because uh um, listeners uh, can't see yeah we need to mention that the, the i held it up to the microphone but i'm happy to you know provide you some stuff if i know on your on your uh, website uh, go we along with it, it yes think. <laughs> but yeah, the, the back cover sort of looks like the back cover of the old RuneQuest. Um, yeah, RuneQuest yeah, 2 book, uh, yeah. Um, uh, d- uh, d- does this one have a sort of who is who and look around some publishing? Who's who? Um, I, I certainly talk about a lot of the people involved along the way a lot more, including Rob Heinsu, as I met Ken Ralston. I had a lot of chats with Greg Stafford you know, up until just the month before he passed away. And so there's a lot more, but I don't have a dedicated who's who as like, here's their picture and here's like a short bio of what they were involved in, but sprinkled throughout the, you know, maybe that's what the MIG-4 will have. I, I don't know. I you know, always a lot more to do. There's certainly a lot more behind the scenes background and a lot more what never was is. I, I um, Sadly, I found out about a lot more stuff that never got to print that died somewhere along the way. And uh, yeah. so a lot more of those in there. And uh, are you going to rescue any of those? Possibly. <laughs> it, it depends. You know, just because I have an unpublished manuscript by somebody, most of them weren't purchased by like, you know, Avalon Hill paid on publication. Oh, yeah. For <laughs> example. And so now I can contact those authors and I can ask what they might want to do with it. Some of them may end up in the Johnstown Compendium. Cool. You know, it, it depends on who wrote it and what it's on, but we we do want to. We, I, I like seeing things stay into print or get back into print, and so I, I hope we can find a home for a number of those projects. But for the vast majority of them, it's up to what the original author wanted to do with it. And, and unfortunately, a lot of those authors are they kind of dropped out of gaming. Oh yeah, not not because their project failed, but just because that's what happens to a lot of people over the years. Yeah, of course. I mean, these are the days where many people are coming back to gaming, though. So, very true. The Pavic Tales guys are coming back to gaming, which I found really interesting. Pavic Tales, what's that? That's a boy, Ludo. Cool you really are a newbie. To- <laughs> <laughs> Just tease. I only tease people I like, Ludo. So. Uh, Pavic Tales is a fan scene. Nine issues. It was a crew of guys in the UK in the Midlands that produced nine issues of a, you know, kind of a five size fanzine, except for the last issue, which was a four. And I have all nine issues documented in the MIG three. It was in the MIG two as well. I think I saw, I might have seen a cover or a reference on the well of Daliath while I was 
browsing here and there. I, I could hold some up to the microphone if you want. <laughs> sure. I happen to acquire an extra set. Nice. I'm yeah. debating whether I want to sell it in the Chaosium auction or not. Yeah. But yeah, oh, yeah no, it's, it's uh, nice. all the way up to the, the last issue, the full size one. I'm impressed by how quick you find items in your collection back there. Well, I've, I've done a lot of organizing over the last couple of years because my wife has said, you know, this expansion policy has to stop. You need to consolidate. And, you know, so I, I've been I've been going through a lot of stuff and organizing it way better. <laughs> so did you have to expand your house? Well, fortunately, we have a pretty big house. I, I did have to get a Chaosium storage unit, though. And so a lot of stuff that was taking up space has gone to the storage unit especially convention stock, you know, for the current books and also book returns, those kind of things. But fortunately we have a, a pretty big house that I'm able to appropriate a number of shelves in. And so does it, does it have to be one of those storage units with controlled temperature and humidity and all that? Yes. <laughs> That's what I prefer. You don't want to have a bunch of hardcover books all get warped. Yes. Yeah. So going back to the uh, uh, MIG, I think that originally you had, I suppose it's still the same thing for the third edition. You had like some limitation because you couldn't index everything in the entire universe. So you weren't too much looking at the foreign licensee editions and foreign fanzines and all that. Well, I, the frustration for me is if I can't read it, <laughs> I don't really want to talk about it and describe it because I don't feel I can do it justice. As Jörg knows, I speak ein bisschen Deutsch, aber nicht so good no french you know yeah. things like that and so but actually what i what i did because i have a lot more of them now because when i ran out of english language things to collect i started just all right fine i'll get the french stuff i'll get the finnish stuff i'll i'll get you know name name the foreign language stuff the japanese hobby japan stuff is awesome there and so i at least in the toward the end of the mig have at least a checklist of all the products produced in each of those foreign languages. Yeah. And so you can see what Welt der Spiel published or Oriflam published or Hobby Japan, uh, JOC, you know, in Spanish, all those things. I at least have the lists in there with a very brief, here's the year they came out, here's their product number. Mm -hmm. And so that, and, and some pictures of some of those items as well. Yeah, it's because yeah. I want it to be more thorough. It's not that I don't like them or think they're cool. It's just it's harder for me to really talk about it and give it a mini review if I can't read it. Yeah, it's true. I mean, yeah. like, I can't read also most of them except the French one, but I don't have them anyway. But, you know, one thing that um, is striking to me is even just looking at the covers, you know, the, the covers of the French RuneQuest are completely unique. The covers of the, you know, Japanese RuneQuest are completely bonkers and there's probably there's probably some story behind there um about how you know uh, probably Avalon Hill and Chaosium didn't have any any say in that like they the, the licenses did whatever they wanted in terms of of this art Chaosium in particular gave them a very free hand with what they wanted to do. They, and, and we still do, for, to be fair. We, we still give our licensees for foreign language a very open hand, you know, in terms of what they want to do. You know, it's just, you know, your market better. Mm -hmm. You know what your customers want better. Why are we going to tell yeah. a French company 
what the French speaking community and the French speaking marketplace wants their supplements to have. And so if they wanted to have, you know, you know, a very different cover art, which is pretty universal. Yeah. Uh, one of my frustrations is I, I got to stop buying these things in the shrink wrap because <laughs> then I don't open them. And that's, you know, uh, but you know, they almost all of them, no matter what, like, you know, the German one, they, they all yeah. pretty much, it's, it's the same style of picture pretty much, but they decided to redo it for whatever reasons. And I don't think it was monetary in terms of, oh, well, we don't want to pay Avalon Hill 200 bucks to reuse their cover. And, and now, of course, we let all of our foreign language licensees use our art for free as part of the licensing deal. They don't, they don't have to pay for that. Right. And as our art's gotten better, our licensees have given us the feedback of, you've gotten better. <laughs> so the point of where now we don't have to replace it, they get confused. <laughs> and that's nice. This is like, yeah, that, that art isn't cutting it it may work in america but it's just not good enough for over here and so they actually use a lot especially for call of cthulhu and for RuneQuest. they just pretty much use all of our art they don't redo it yeah 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 although I mean, that's, like, that's very gratifying to me there are some things like the the games workshop cover for RuneQuest 2 i find is like vastly inferior to the the american one from uh, louis perrin though so i guess it's all different tastes uh i mean i'm mostly pre-floored by the uh, you know the japanese covers and there are also some crazy german covers with some uh, yeah yeah that <laughs> yeah. one yeah it's a, it's a different uh, uh type of woman fighting the same yeah, rock like lizard yeah, yeah. Uh, or the or as sandy peterson likes to call it the lizard eating a burrito uh, <laughs> <shield>. <laughs> yeah, but yeah. it's 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 very similar in style overall but it's obviously they redid yeah. the art for whatever reason yeah. i'm hoping to talk to some people from games workshop especially about the rq2 and rq3 era i just haven't gotten yeah. that far down my list of people to get to them but i want to talk to a lot of people that were in the development of it just right. because unfortunately some of them are starting to pass away a little bit too often you know, we lost Steve Perrin just last year. I'm really yeah. grateful I got to spend a lot of time chatting with him when he was in the Chiasium booth at Gen Con and such. But, you know, for every question I ask him, there are probably 10 I never got around to that not going to get around to him now. Uh, but yeah, you've seen uh, you've seen those Japanese and German covers, though, I, su I suppose. Yeah. The ja oh, the ones for the oh, yeah, the Japanese books. They're a little bit racier, quite frankly. I, I I could grab them off the shelf. I mean, there's like there's two categories. There's those that really look like manga stuff, and there are those that look like um, sort of uh, Chronicles of Lodos type thing, like very painted, um, elaborate armors and stuff like that. Um, yeah, because I know that the uh, Dragon Pass. Yeah this this whole yeah this whole line of product. I mean, very stylistic. It's like that's our graph. Yeah, I mean, it's not too far off from the weird uh, sort of, you know, Mobius sci-fi fantasy art graph from Worm's Footnotes, right? Uh, true, in some ways. I mean, there's a there's a wide range of art in Worm's Footnotes, no doubt about that. Yes. Yeah. I think uh, it also made it into the rules, so. Uh, yeah, I think that picture of our made it into RuneQuest Companion, I think, or uh, something like that. Yeah, that sounds uh, right. Yeah, well, I, I was talking talking about uh, Dragon Pass rules. Oh, right, yeah. So, yes, yeah, so that's uh, quite a moody one and possibly uh, worth of speculation. Like, is this uh, a typical EWF uh, <laughs> yeah. gear or what is it? Yeah. Well, you know, in some ways, it's really great that Glorantha 
and RuneQuest as a whole has had a wide spectrum of art for it. Mm-hmm. From you know, I could there's so many different approaches you can take to it, and it's great that you have a lot of choice. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, speaking of worms, footnotes. There were some rumors or some attempts at continuing worms footnotes. Well, uh, between 14 and 15, the time span hasn't uh, passed again, so... <laughs> <laughs> it's un- unfortunate. Yeah, we we did manage to get Worms Footnotes 15 out, and we thought maybe we could get into maybe once a year doing it. Mm-hmm. But then that's right around the time we got involved full-time at Chaosium, mm-hmm. the principal people with it. And we, we have a number a number of the articles and all that ready to go for worms footnote 16. We just haven't gotten around to pulling the trigger on it. I, I, I don't know. It's just when you're trying to get regular releases out for RuneQuest and everything else, just adding one more thing like that into the mix. Yeah. A, a lot of that, you know, a, a lot of people who probably would have written for worms footnotes and would be happy to write for it i think a lot of those people are now just happily writing and releasing things on the, on the johnstown compendium yeah and in some yeah. ways that lessens the need for something like worms footnotes in an article style of magazine mm-hmm. uh i don't know i yeah the sentimental side of me wants to see it be back into print i i don't know when but we we certainly haven't officially killed it and given up on the idea. Right. It's more just finding people who want to actively work on it. I gotta I gotta talk to Ian Cooper again because Ian was spending a fair bit of time helping us with that. Right. Well, he's busy with Quest Worlds now. So, speaking of Justin Compendium, the at least rating wise, this is to be one of the most popular or most successful, I would say, um, community content programs on DriveThru because. You know, whenever you look at the top community content on DriveThru across the entire DriveThru, it's always, if not Chaosium community content, maybe even Johnstone community content uh, that's always in that top 10. Oh, yeah. Our our community content programs across the board have been very successful and Johnstown mm-hmm. Compendium particularly so. And it's great to see. I, I think that... One of the things, of course, is that the quality mm-hmm. is amazing on the vast majority of the products that get released mm-hmm. yeah. for our community content titles. People really take a serious, well-thought, deliberate approach to what they produce for it, as opposed to some other community content programs. You tend to get a, a lot of, shall we say, <laughs> yeah. more rushed content. And and also, you know, the, I think... The fact that we have a very active community, mm-hmm. like on Facebook, there's a group for the RuneQuest, uh, you know, Johnstown Compendium audience. There's one for the Miskatonic Repository and the Circle of Creators for that. And because you have that mm-hmm. decent sized community, and by that I mean not so large that you can get drowned out, but you can actually talk with people and get to know them in a little bit. And it, it's it's a manageable, knowable sized community, but very, very helpful that that also helps each other with what gets produced. And it, it makes a lot of the products, I'm sure, a lot better just because they have people who are happy to play test it, happy to review it, give you feedback that's honest feedback and helps improve their products. And so mm-hmm. it, the the quality is just yeah. superb no, yeah, it's, uh, on many of the products. It seems to be really working very well. And it, it was interesting to me that... Um, 
uh, I guess it, it ties in a bit with Worm's footnotes. There was like, you know, this whole trend of zine comeback in, in the RPG hobby, especially on the OSR side of things. Lots of zine, like uh, like the whole zine mm-hmm. quests, um, uh initiatives. And, you know, given that RuneQuest is a bit OSR, I guess, <laughs> in, in a way. Well, it's certainly old school in terms of, you know, first edition came out in 78. There weren't a lot of role-playing games. like I mean, even the award category that RuneQuest won in 1978, they didn't have an RPG category. They won best miniatures rules. <laughs> yes, nice. <laughs> that, that's what RuneQuest, uh, yeah. the first award they got, was for. Yeah, but it, it looks like Chaosium didn't really pay too much attention about this whole Zin stuff. And uh, you really focused on just guiding people with releasing good quality playable content on, on drive through. And, and that seems to have paid off fair, fairly well. I don't know if that was like a conscious decision or. Um... Well, we wanted to focus more on playable material than just a collection of articles you know, in terms of we not that we forbid that in the Johnstown Compendium or the Miskatonic Repository or any of our community content groups, but it's just that's what we certainly encourage people to work on. Yeah. yeah. And also it, it also benefits Chaosium because we see what people are capable of writing. And yes, we recruit from that pool of authors and creatives. And yeah. And uh, the side effect is that uh, the current ed- edition of RuneQuest is uh, as well supported as none has be- uh, before. Yep. So you were talking about, uh, you know, Ian Cooper just a bit earlier. Mm-hmm. Uh, we know that he is line editor for Quest Worlds, which is sort of the new uh, edition of Hero Quest, which was the new edition of Hero Wars, but it's this whole, you know, line of, of thing. And like right now, more or less, we have like those three rule sets to play in Glorita, like official rule sets between the Rune Quests, uh, Hero Quest, if you can get your hands on it, uh, and 13th Age Glorita for different you know sort of takes on it. I assume that this sort of came to be organically and through like the history of the convoluted Glorita publishing history and all that. What was there a master plan? Is what you're asking me? I don't. I don't. I don't assume that there was ever a master plan, but I'm. Uh, I'm wondering if um, there will be. I guess, or if Chaosium is just like, no, let's just focus on the Rune Quest because well, we don't have. We one. we are the Chaosium, not the Ordarium, as we <laughs> yeah. like to joke. Yeah, yeah. And so, yeah. All jokes aside, there was there was no really master plan. I mean, Thirteenth Age Glorantha was Jonathan Tweet and Rob Heinzos big project Mm -hmm. because you know they were involved you know rob was very involved in a previous edition of dungeons and dragons and ad and d having that come out and jonathan tweet longtime glorantha fan but also uh you know involved with the 13th age rule system which of course predates 13th age glorantha you know it's just a supplement for it they really wanted to do it and so they basically made it happen Mm -hmm. and we supported their effort to make it happen Unfortunately for 13th Age, they've moved on to other products and other projects, mm-hmm. and they haven't focused on 13th Age since. And unfortunately, it's it's doubtful they will. It's not because we don't want them to or it won't let them. It's just 
you know, this is their full-time job. They want to make a comfortable living at it and they feel other projects will allow them to do that more easily than 13th age Chloranthemum. But you do yeah. control uh, Quest World and um, the mm -hmm. reason that my skin is also because I have seen a few people like even just like through discussions on Discord or some feedback that we receive on the God Learners website um, of people who want to play in Glorenta, but they don't want like a big crunchy system like RuneQuest and they want like the uh, a light, mm -hmm. um, uh, a light, more narrative thing, just like what Quest World is trying to be. So I'm wondering if sure. Chaosium is going to uh, basically push Glorantha as a franchise and, you know, maybe re-release um, uh, Hero Quest Glorantha under Quest World, like a Quest World Glorantha, or if now Glorantha and RuneQuest are basically synonymous at Chaosium for the foreseeable future. Well, we, we certainly want to support both audiences. Mm -hmm. I, I, for one, especially when I'm playing just a one-off Glorantan game, yeah. a lot of times I'll, I'll, I prefer to play mm -hmm. Quest Worlds for it because i'm more into the story and just being a big ham and all that type of stuff than i am especially when it's i mean if there's pre-gen characters of course i'm happy to play a, a rune quest one shot but it just there's so many things about quest worlds that are much easier in a one shot yes to just do you know getting a character put together you pretty much do it on the fly yeah. if you want it's harder to do that with rune quest unless you have pre-gens and mean, so uh... There's a fourth unofficial system uh, around, which is the freeforming system. I mean, mm -hmm. there's lots. I mean, just like a, a few weeks ago, we um, we published a uh, well, we, we linked to a, a custom French-made uh, system that uh, is even lighter than uh, yeah, uh, I know. Quest worlds, well. and I've seen you know um, mods for GURPS and for. Fate yeah, no, I'm, yeah, I'm, I'm not talking about mods. I'm talking about this whole family of big uh, Garantha and smaller Garantha freeforms, sure, which all yeah. use very similar rules. Mm. All, uh, most of them descended from uh, the Home of the Bold freeform. Yes, Home of the Bold was certainly, if not the first, one of the first. Mm -hmm. Yeah, certainly the first ones at RuneQuest cons. It was run at RQCon yeah. one. And it was run at Convulsion ninety two, the first Convulsion. Yeah. So, yeah, I, I recently so I, uh, I recently acquired the the old um, Call of Cthulhu live LARPing uh, supplement. Mm -hmm. uh, so you know, you could imagine Chaosium releasing a uh, Glorantha <laughs> LARP <laughs> guide. Remind me about Cthulhu Live. I'll tell you a story about it after I I, I just talk about the Glorantha freeforms in particular. Okay, yeah. But one of the one of the sections I added to the MIG. Are is a list of the major Glorantham freeforms, and of course we had a lot of those wonderful freeform master packs come out, mm -hmm. and usually sold at tentacles auctions, convulsion auctions, RuneQuest con auctions, yeah. and I have a I have a a number of pages on all of those in the new version of the Meg. Cool. So, yeah, but you know, Chaosium did flirt with doing more live action role playing supplements, but they ran into a big problem. Mm -hmm. And that is that you'd have one or two GMs that would want to buy that book, but you pretty much didn't want the 40 or 50 players in it buying the book. Mm -hmm. yeah. And so you would satisfy an audience of 50 with maybe like two to four books. Right. Yeah. The and so they, they didn't sell that well because the number of GMs as opposed to players just wasn't very big. 
yeah, yeah. compared to the ratio of maybe one to four at the table. Um, sure, you know, a lot of a lot of players will ultimately buy a, a you know name any module supplement things like that after they played through it. They just want to read it. They want the background. I, I pretty much was that way. I didn't buy a lot of RuneQuest scenario books and things like that. Like I played through Giffen Mountain, but I didn't read it or own it until long after the campaign was done. Right. Yeah. But and so yeah. Chaosium actually, along with Cthulhu Live, which was a licensed product, mm-hmm. they did their own Nexus uh, freeform role playing supplement, and they planned on doing more of them. The next one was going to be Once Upon a Time, which is one of these things I only found out about recently when I was going through the archives and going through an old catalog of chaosiums and it was announced as a forthcoming product and i'm like whoa that never came out (laughs) and so i added it into the list of product numbers that never got used and what that product number was for and i actually contacted steve balzac who was the person who was doing that Uh, he was involved with nexus a little bit but then he also had several of these that they were lining up to pitch as chaosium titles Mm -hmm. and so I, i got to find out a bit of chaosium history there wonderful chat with him and and his partners who wrote those right yeah but do circle back about like supporting glorenta players of you know various audiences is um there are i think there are plans to just re-release the hero quest glorenta stuff rebranded but is there any plans for uh, a quest world glorenta line is that something that's floating well we're working on that with ian and one of the things we're doing before Chaosium Con is we're having a number of Chaosium team member meetings. And that's one of the topics that's coming up. It's, it's not, you know, something open to the public, but since it's rare that we all get together in person, we are having a lot of different meetings the days before the con to talk through a lot of these things and do some company planning. And I know one of the, one of the things in particular we've been talking about is how it wouldn't be that difficult to come up with for any name, any rune quest book like Pegasus plateau or uh, smoking ruin, things like that. Uh, Even the starter set and come up with a a very modest pack for using it with quest worlds rules. Right. Yes. It's, it's much easier to do that than it is to take something that was written for hero quest or quest worlds or any of those iterations of the system and make that a playable supplement for rune quest that's actually a lot of work yeah 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 Yeah. taking a numbers light rules light system and adding all what you need to play it in a in a heavier numbers crunchy system like rune quest that that's that's few people have wanted to step up to that challenge (laughs) yes no it's it's easier that way i i agree yeah basically hero quest uh, supplements are cameos for rune quest kind of yeah you just you just remove the stat block and keep the runes and three abilities and that's it Mm -hmm. Um, um so you were talking also about like the you know the commercial viability between you know how much books you sell to the gm versus the players and all that and it always I mean, it may sound like, uh, you know, cash grabby, but it always seemed like the whole, you know, white wall for uh, Paizo model of the splat books and all that. I mean, like Cult of Prax is supposed to be one of the first splat books. And I always figured that RuneQuest would fit that model very well, where, you know, you release the Isari's source book and the Humax source book and the whatever, and then basically sell those books to all the players but that doesn't seem to be ever something that was uh, that chaosium was interested in doing one of, one of the things about a community game is it's very hard 
to dissect like one cult Mm -hmm. from all the others and not talk about them. It's like, how can you talk about the light bringers and leave a couple of them out kind of thing or the seven (laughs) mothers and leave a few of them out because you you end up not explaining a lot of these interrelationships. And so one of the reasons the, you know, gods and goddesses of Glorantha project has taken so long is because as you may have seen the list it's got over 100 cults in it yeah and a lot of them are very interwoven Mm. where it's very hard to just talk about one without talking about the others and it grows and it grows and so that's why you're looking at a multi-volume book set with some nice overview material like in the red book of magic which is in some ways a distillation of that part of the gods and goddesses just like there's going to be a prospedia book which is a distillation of part of it, adding a, a much needed and much appreciated approach to that information. Mm-hmm. But it's very hard if we had like the book of Humacht to not have so much other info in it where it, it's it's hard to segment it like that, as opposed to like a class-based system, as we know. If you just want to talk about a cleric, it's not like their relationship with the bard or the paladin is that important, as opposed to, you know, say, Isseries and Lankermai and right. Chilana yeah. Roy and things like that. So there are a lot so more standards. Basically, uh, you uh, you might be able to do some Pantheon uh, spra- uh, book, splat books, but <laughs> not uh, special cards. Well, I mean, there will. If, if I mean, the as far as I understand, the um, the upcoming cults book slipcase is mainly going to be, you know, the central Ginnertella thing. So there will be another lunar dragon pass. And, uh, and it's and, not going to get into the west and the east that much or Pamela no yeah right so yeah. there's probably another three three slip cases maybe in the future <laughs> I, there's certainly more books you know we're, we're, we're trying to find the best way to present especially yeah. cultures mythologies that are a little more further afield yeah. whether it's we you know whether we take an approach yeah. kind of like we do with some of the Call of Cthulhu books where we can pick an area like we, you know like the Berlin book one of my favorite Call of Cthulhu supplements. It talks about the city of Berlin, the times, the politics, the, you know, all all the things from that part of Germany. And then it has scenarios in the back. And so it's kind of source book up front scenarios in the back. Those have been pretty popular for Call of Cthulhu. And maybe that's the kind of thing we could do with certain places in Glorantha is just talk about a small geographic area a, high, a little bit of a high level view, talk about how it can plug into the guide to Glorantha or things like that. If you want more on some of those things, and then just give you some great scenarios to start playing in that area. And then just let the story unfold from there versus trying to do a super deep, big, you know, you could, you could do a whole slip case on just the Malkioni part of the West. Yes. And <laughs> some people yeah. would still feel you're not doing it justice probably <laughs> in terms of, you know, you didn't say enough about Seshnella and the second age, you know, yeah. whatever. <laughs> and, and so I, I, I like easy entry points for people to get started. I mean, don't get me wrong. I, I like the deep dive stuff too. I mean, I got, I got shelves full of it and I love it all, but I in we are particularly interested in getting people started and making Glorantha feel approachable and understandable on a basic level you don't have to know everything before you start doing anything uh and and getting to that so starter set made some real progress in that and having other very easy entry point types of things for other places absolutely want to do more of that 
versus the here's the fire hose pick and choose what you want as you yeah. you know get drowned in information Although i got started with the fire hose i got started with the gate to Glorantha, but uh uh but yeah i mean it's it's i'm i'm always I, i'm always like in the back of my mind thinking of how much of a difficult sort of juggling exercise it must be for chaosium to juggle between making the setting approachable but it's you know a very crunchy old rule set and it's a very old and complicated and nuanced setting and you've got you know a whole bunch of old grognards on the internet and we know how you know that well they, they buy everything we produce anyway so we're not <laughs> bless them it's it's a wonderful known quantity of like we can we know we can sell x right. thousand of anything you know to the bless them longtime fans i i i still am one of those types of buyers yeah. you know I, they're going to complain but they're bite anyway <laughs> they, they, yeah they'll buy anyway yeah you know we we are definitely trying to make glorantha more approachable mm-hmm. easier access points you know we, we have a lot of things that you know you, you haven't seen us producing for example a lot more of the stafford library type of thing right yes which is a pity uh on one hand i uh, i've only read there's there's good and bad in everything Jurg. i agree with you on that there, there is an audience for those. There's no doubt about that. Yeah. It's just that we're 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 trying to get more players into the game and new players into the game. Yeah, and so we we're focusing on them, but also trying to make sure there's enough yeah. stomach stuff coming out for the yeah. the longer term grognards as we call them. Yeah. So and. Yeah, I realize that Chaosium is a gaming company and not a book selling company. But uh, what about the fiction lines? In general, you're going to in be seeing and for Garantha and Spen- Okay, that's that's what I thought. I I know the the Call of Cthulhu fiction line. We're really close on two titles, uh, Sisterhood and Leaves of the Necronomicon, are both basically ready to print and they're underway. And mm-hmm. we're going to get the fiction line for Call of Cthulhu relaunched this year. Cool. Yeah. yeah. The real problem with Glorantan fiction is very simple. We don't get a lot of people submitting anything for us to even consider publishing. Yes. Yeah. And and that's the problem. We we've had a lot of luck with the Call of Cthulhu fiction line, for example, because we have lots of authors mm-hmm. who pitch either a scenario, a collection of stories or a more of a even single story. They also have that tremendous back catalog of stuff they could get back into print things by authors that hadn't been in print for decades. Mm-hmm. But with Glorantan fiction, it's a much more modest pool of authors. Yeah. Even if we wanted to, like, oh, let's just reprint all the old fiction yeah. that's out of print, be it, you know, Jim Chapin's stuff or uh, Penelope Love stuff. That's a pretty modest bookshelf of stuff. Even if we reprinted the entire yes. back catalog of mm-hmm. fiction, yeah. including yeah. Griselda stuff. Yeah. All right. Yeah. It, it's a very modest mm-hmm. shelf. Yeah. I, I don't think, you know, we're talking centimeters of <laughs> shelf space. All right. Hey, and so, yes. yeah. so when it comes to the newer stuff, we, we just don't have, for whatever reason, it's probably a combination of reasons, a lot of people even pitching Glorantham yeah. fiction to us. Yeah. yeah. It's yeah. not that we're turning it down like, yeah, hey, we'll get, we'll get back to, you know, big author X that wants to write Glorantham and stuff for us. Just, unfortunately, nobody's pitching us that. Right. Yeah. Or it's very rare that we get pitched a novel. Mm-hmm. It's so, very rare. Like when, when you're uh, talking about trying to make Glorantham more accessible. So, you know, 
uh, an accessible fiction line would be like a good entry point for, for sure. uh, new people. Uh, there's a few other things like, you know, Can of Cans, which is a great little game to get people to unknowingly start knowing about uh, Glorida places. But <laughs> sure. Uh, and then there's the starter set. There is the the long rumored video game, like the new, some kind of request video. It is in development. Yeah. COVID definitely slowed some things down, but real progress has been made with the design studios working on it. Yeah. And it's, it's fairly far advanced where it's, it's not if it's just a matter of when, and we're probably talking a, a couple of years because video games have about a six year development cycle and we're on about year like three or four. Yeah. I'm, I'm working in that industry. So yes, I know. <laughs> um, is there any other sort of entry point that Chaosium is thinking about that you would be willing to share? Is that generally speaking, the, the, um, well, of, uh, virtual tabletop is definitely worth talking about. Right. Because like someone said that hopefully there will be VTT integration for RuneQuest by the time the starter set gets released, but that hasn't happened yet. It, it took longer than we wanted. Right. Yeah. That's for sure. Yeah. But we, we've been working with Roll20 and also with the Foundry Ooh, nice. to get onto yeah. those. Uh, and Fantasy Ground. And Roll20 yeah. is very keen to get they're 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 working really fast on getting the room quest starter set done for roll 20 awesome yeah and there's also the uh, fantasy ground also there was somebody working on on that we we have some resource at fantasy grounds working on it but they've mainly focused on call of cthulhu product okay uh well but it's still good that uh it's still in progress so um oh yeah no we they're they're we're, they're definitely going to have a lot more come out for virtual tabletop this year Nice. Yeah. For RuneQuest, in particular the starter set, but then going right on to the rule book. You know, they want to get the weapons and equipment one in there. They want to do some map packs. Mm -hmm. And we're working with them regularly to give them everything they need, all the bits and pieces to get these things created. And we actually have some dedicated Chiasium people working on virtual tabletop as well. Cool. Yeah. Nice. Is the is, is the the revenue from people buying modules of Call of Cthulhu on the Roll Twenty? Is that anecdotal, anecdotal, whatever, or is that a good source of revenue for Chaosium? It, it's it's a it's a very good revenue stream, oh, yeah, and cool. it's been growing. Yeah, and you know we it's mainly just lack of content that's limiting the growth of it. It's it's not the popularity of it. it it's amazing to think that we are the second most popular role-playing game system on Roll20. And that's why they're so keen to get additional content on it. And we also have dedicated people at Chaosium getting content on it. And it's really just a matter of getting the content on there. It's not the lack of desire, it's lack of product. And because it's very different than what we produce for a book and PDFs and things like that. Yes, obviously they're using the same pictures and everything, but all those have to be converted yes. and it's to it. Mm -hmm. and, and unfortunately, and I don't blame the virtual tabletop platforms for this at all, but every tabletop platform, while they may start with the same map, they all have to tweak it their own ways with the lighting and their settings and what formats they want. And so it's not like if we can do it for one platform, oh, it is, yeah, throw it up on the name any other platform as well. It all has to be same starting point converted to their end product that they can then offer to their customers. And they're not interchangeable. It's, it's, it's computers. It's always, it's always more complicated than it needs to be. <laughs> well, you know, they, they, they have their platform with their technology, their way of doing things. And I don't blame them for not wanting to make it super easy to port over anywhere else. Right. Yeah. 
uh, yeah, but it's good to know that it's coming. And um, Call of Cthulhu is probably like my uh, main favorite game. Uh, and it really warmed my heart that uh, over the past couple of years, it really became very popular. And now, like you said, it's the second most played system on the Roll20, I think. Uh, mm-hmm. It looks like there's a lot of people who are, you know, after a few years of D&D 5e are like, okay, what's else? And Call of Cthulhu is like, oh, that's very different. Let's try that. And that's uh, that seems to be a, a really a go-to game now to uh, to a lot of well, people. It's a, it, it's a very different experience. Yeah. It, I mean, at its core, there are a lot of similarities, of course, to a lot of other role-playing games, but it has a, you know, it has its unique approach to, you know, not really getting more powerful and the chances of dying are very real and you're up against things way more powerful than you. It's not just about loot and experience yes. points and things like that. Yeah. Cool. Um, so we should stop uh, to think about uh, wrapping up. Jörg, did you have any uh, particular topics you wanted to talk about? Yeah, okay. I still have one uh, topic and that's yeah. other board games. For oh, yes. Well, I mean, we, I mean, uh, you announced that you were uh, re-evaluating Dragon Pass and uh, Nomad Gods. Mm-hmm. Yes, we're looking at reissuing those. We're starting with Dragon Pass as opposed to Nomad Gods, mm-hmm. and we we would like to get both of them back into print in updated editions. And a fair bit of work's been done with Dragon Pass, less so with Nomad Gods. Although we do want to make it more of a a unified game system where what works for one can work for the other. But unfortunately the other heard about, but never released chaosium war games for Glorantha, like masters of luck and death or shadows dance. The, the, the sad news is they never got very far in development. So we don't have anything that we can just dust off the, you know, shelves. Oh, to yeah, grab that. Yeah, yeah. And they're also very different. I got games. very close to shadows dance for a little bit. So yes, it's, it, it it it's a feasible pro, uh, project, but not uh, not in any way finished yet. Well, it's, like I said, it's not something we can say. Okay, we got a hundred pages of stuff on it. Let's just do the last ten percent and finish it. And then Masters of Luck and Death went through a number of serious rewrites, and it was only really ever at the conceptual stage. And it and it wasn't a conventional war game to boot. It wasn't like it had hexes and military counters. It was much more of a much more like a i'm trying to think of how to describe it because they didn't get so far even though no, even uh, the, it was a bit uh, a bit like uh net running and uh cyberpunk oh, yeah, yeah, it, you know it, it was much more about a, the contest for the masters of luck and death and it was yeah. about one of you ultimately winning <laughs> you know it's probably more like a game of junta than it is like a war game. <laughs> All right. Which one of you is going to be the dictator of, you know, the, the country and, or even like a game of Kremlin. I, so it, it, it's, it, it's closer to that than it yeah. is to a standard, you know, white Baron red moon. Here's your hex map. Here's your military counters and okay. Lots of quirky magic and all that. But mm-hmm. so Mola, yeah. which is a very different game. And yeah, we only. Okay. Uh, I mean, I mean the hex the hex map game would be would be feasible, even without the tournaments. 
Well, you you could repurpose it to make it some type of you need building wall battle, whatever. You you could figure something yeah. out for it, sure. But that's not anything we even have on the radar. We just have been working a lot with Dragon Pass in particular, with the expectation of once we got a few things figured out for that, we can then just do the same thing with Nomad Gods largely. And I, I know Jeff is super keen on it. He knows far more about those projects than I do. You know, we have our realms in the company that while we know a little about everything, we know a lot about certain things. Yeah. And yeah. those projects, as much as I'm a Gloranthan, you know, going back to the late 70s, I haven't been able to focus on that. I, I get to focus on things like, you know, color samples and Pantone colors for book ribbons <laughs> and, you know, what co- what color dice we're going to use in a starter set or things oh, like that. Yes, I, yes. As, I, as I hold a dice up to the uh, microphone, again, yeah. <laughs> those type of things or what how big a print run is going to be mm-hmm. or what yeah. we're going to stock at the Chaosium booth at Chaosium Con, those kind of things. Yeah, I, I get those kind of decisions. But, you know, I, I, I get to dabble and I get to at least check in on things, but it's not one of my primary focuses you've got all the paperwork yeah i'm paperwork and production guy far more than i am the game designer type of guy um so loranta still is your hobby oh very much very much still (laughs) oh i love it as much as i ever have and so yeah so speaking of paperwork uh more stacks of paper there is a lot of you know rare items and other half lost things you know i'm I'm thinking about you know some of the the playtest material that was offered in uh like the high tiers of the runequest classic kickstarter the oh my god <laughs> oh he's holding <laughs> yes the uh roots of glorenta series that's well, this is the greg Anth atlas this is uh greg's maps right for yes. all, all kinds of things in you know from his personal hand-drawn maps so we put it it was yeah. a, it was a high level backer yeah but you know we we had to make a few extras just in case of damage and loss and things like that so mm-hmm. uh, this is going into the chaosium con auction Ooh, fancy and um uh but also like there's you know old um articles from greg in you know the wild hunt or alarum and excursions and, and all things like that like is there anything that you know in the back of your mind you're thinking oh i wish i could collect these things or republish them or is, are these going to stay as you know rare items Ooh, stafford house campaign Chaosium well Pussy. i don't even know about this one well we we don't sell this yet yet <laughs> yeah uh, <laughs> but this this is a real chaosium publication oh wow uh, what this is it's a as I, once again I'm holding it up to the microphone, but yeah. I, I can give you a screenshot or if you need as well. But mm-hmm. this has all of Greg's articles from the Wild Hunt Ooh. and similar publications because he did a series of posts on Dragon's Past, yeah. a few of which appeared in Worm's Footnotes, mm-hmm. but a lot of them were in the Wild Hunt, and we're talking 1978 Wild Hunt. Yeah. Yeah. which had a print run of maybe 150 issues, 150 copies of each issue, yeah. mm-hmm. if you could find them back then. Of course, they're very fragile. Yeah. Uh, and then there's his Son of Sartar articles. And also, we happened to find three unpublished ones called the Pharaoh's Gazette. Wow. Because <laughs> one of the cool things in the archives, I managed to find this, this uh, lovely little folder called Dragon's Past. Wow. Yeah. Which yeah. had all of Greg's original 
cut and paste, put the logo on the top of the page. And in there, it just happened to have three issues of the Pharaoh's Gazette relating to his holy country part of his campaign. (laughs) Nice. And so this we, we nice were actually, little uh, talking about the Holy Country campaign that Greg ran with uh, uh, David Scott's last episode. So yeah, yeah, yeah. We even we even in, include the character sheets that were used. <laughs> nice. And so this is one of the little side projects that I was able to scan and clean up and put together. And so this is an eighty-page book. Nice. And we're gonna have a few of these at Chaosium Con. Oh my god! <laughs> nice. It'll be in general release after that. Uh, uh, this is the kind of Stafford Library uh, stuff I thought we need. <laughs> well, you know, I it'll come out here and there in a little bit, but you know, we we're gonna have like I know a lot of people really liked some of the premium stuff from the RuneQuest Classics. So one of the extra sets of the RuneQuest Classic books, you know, the playtest manuscript, mm-hmm. yeah. and then the, these are all mainly RuneQuest Two material Mm -hmm. from various unpublished supplements and all that worked out we had a volume on the west we had a volume on sorcery and uh, another one is on general grant and stuff and then dragon pass in the wild and so we're going to be auctioning the spare set off in the you know collectibles auction cool but i suppose that because i think those that was also greg's wish like those will remain sort of rare items like they were not going to get republished or um or if, well, they, or if they are republished, they will be at the same sort of expensive price point. You know, Jeff and Jason and the Glorantan writing team yeah. as a whole have access to all of this. Right. And they cherry pick from it mm-hmm. as much or as little as they want yeah. to get it into like the upcoming Sartar book right. or even like the hero questing book that, the, you know, the GM's book that he's, that is busily being worked on is pretty close to being done. Yeah. You know, they they pull things out of there and they're free to use those in upcoming products. Yeah. But yeah, it, for, for whatever reason, for many years, it was Greg's. That's how we made some extra spending money or money to live on, quite frankly, because yeah. Greg had a pretty low income for a number of years. And there were super collectors who were happy to pay 250 bucks a volume to get his Roots of Glorantha series. And because they were very generous with Greg, he wants to he wanted to honor that and he wanted us to honor that with mm-hmm. not just all of a sudden making them available for 25 bucks each yes yeah yeah that's yeah. what i heard and so you know it's it's a little bit of a i understand the people's desire to get this stuff yeah you think i wasn't one of those type of people up until you know <laughs> recently where come on greg you know I, I got money but i don't have that much money you know yeah. Yeah. So I, I get it. And and we're that's why we're trying to do things like, you know, the, the Stafford House campaign right. and get some things back into print in various ways. But just, you know, getting a simple set of everything in the archives and all that just isn't what Greg wanted to be, have done. And, right. and we're going to honor that, yeah, especially now that he's not with us. Yeah. And in terms of content, like if if you're not a collector in terms of content, yeah, I think Jeff mentioned that a lot of that stuff is trickling down into the actual published stuff and and so after a while the content only has collector value and not really gameable value there's obviously gameable things in there but it's not like a, oh here's a dragon pass campaign that got cut the week before it went to the printer yes <laughs> you know it, it, it's it's nowhere near that it, it's yeah. obviously all works in progress you know there, there were a few small exceptions like when we took the sea cave which was basically a 
percent plus done mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. scenario that was they just for whatever reason it got shelved they never got back to it it never got published yeah. sure for discrete little things like that mm-hmm. we do want to get them published because why not it's 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 a fun little thing to do collectors love it but also you know you can actually play through it but a lot of the stuff isn't that close to playable it would either need a lot of work or a lot of creativity yeah, it's just to, to get it to work. It's just random notes. A lot of it's just notes. Yeah. A lot of it's, it'll have a, it'll have a list of numbers one through 10 and one, two, and three are filled in, but then four through 10, it just yeah. doesn't have any filled in yet. Yeah. Or there'll be, there'll be, there'll be a table of contents and you go to that chapter and there's like a heading page and then nothing else with it. Yeah. 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 I mean, it's a bit like what we see in some of the stuff on library stuff, but uh um, speaking of the sea cave, as we are coming to uh, our time limit, uh, I, there's something I really want to know because it bothers me. Uh, I got the sea cave, which is this, um, it was like this sort of, like you said, um, uh, extra scenario for the RuneQuest classic uh, Kickstarter. And um, in my PDFs, I ended up getting two different copies of the sea cave, one numbered SP7 and one numbered SP8. And I was wondering what the hell is going on here. And then I started looking more at the other RuneQuest classic things. And at first I thought that SP meant scenario pack, but then there's also some stuff marked source pack. And sometimes it's got both, like it's got both scenario pack five and source pack gamma on the same cover. It's like, what the hell is going on with those SPs? I, I, I point out once again that we are not the Ordarium. We are the Chaosium. All right. Yes. We, we're getting better in certain ways, but yeah. it was pointed out to me fairly early on when I was putting those together. It's like, uh, you know, Rick, a lot of people call Cults of Prax by its Chaosium 4000 number, but it actually started out as Scenario Pack 7, and you forgot about it. Oh. So please change it from 7 to 8 at least. Okay. Nice. My bad. This right. this this is just one of the uncut covers that I'm holding up. Yeah. That you know. Yeah. Um, they they use these just as file folders. We found a bunch of these in the filing cabinet like this. You know, just <laughs> folded in half. It'll say like, oh, here's what's actually you know adventurer sheets were put in it, and they just use them as extra file folders. <laughs> nice. And so, what's the difference between scenario? Like, what does SP mean? Because I was looking at, um, I think it's militia and mercenaries. It's got both SP5 at the top and source pack gamma at the bottom. So what, what is SP and what, and what does I, it mean? <laughs> it started out as source pack. And that's the most common definition for it. Mm-hmm. But they kind of just being artists more than being statisticians or whatever you want to call it. They that kind of drifted to where when Ballister's Barracks came out, they called it a scenario pack because it was a scenario. Right. And the same thing, Cults of Prax, it, it's it, they, you know, that's more of a, a source pack. Mm-hmm. But then they they just found they it was a term that didn't it just didn't really do it well enough. So they just kind of abandoned it. And that's why all the early ones that they actually did reprint Cults of Prax. They just switched it over to 4008 and right. left it at that. They just yeah. stopped referring to it. So when the second printing came out, you know, this one right here, yeah. 
I just happen to have all this stuff right at hand. It's really, um, <laughs> I, that's because I did a post about cults of Prax recently. Maybe you right. saw it on the out of the suitcase. But yeah. you know, yeah, this yeah. one they just put four thousand eight on the back, and they just gave up on the whole source pack scenario pack, whatever, because. You know, a bunch of California hippies couldn't figure out which way I actually wanted to call it consistently. So they say, hey, we better off just give it 4,008 and be done with it. <laughs> and they just gave up with the whole source pack scenario pack, whatever. Mm-hmm. That's what we just called old, old school resources, you know, pack is what we called it. Yes. Right. Cool. Well, thanks for that. Uh, and uh, unless Jurg has any last minute things, I think uh, we can thank you a lot for taking the time to talk to us. My pleasure. Uh, and uh, I hope to run into you at Chaosium Con, which should probably happen because it's not that big. Uh, about 300 of us will be there in total. Oh, yeah, cool. Not bad, not bad. It's about 270 you know, regular attendees, not that I'm trying to say anything regular about them. They're wonderful people. (laughs) And then there are about 30 Chaosium team members. Cool. Wow. It's big. The most Chaosium team members we've ever had in the same location. Is there going to be some sort of mythic convergence happening that all of those people are at the same place suddenly? It's going to be... uh... Yeah, we're, we're certainly going to enjoy each other's company, and a lot of it is just like at Tentacles or at Convulsion or a RuneQuest Con. There's going to be lots of time to just be social and hang out. It's not all just you know we're we're going to be very accessible. Yeah. That's why we're running a lot of sessions. It's we didn't want it to be some five thousand person event yeah. mm-hmm. where stand in line with three hundred other people to get an autograph or whatever else. It's it, we. We very much, you know, I could speak for most of the people on the team Chaosium that we like the smaller social conventions and why not have one that Chaosium is running and sponsoring, yeah. you know, after, you know, a mere 47 years of existence. <laughs> yeah, It's also nice that you sort of started it with the uh, ImpCon, the, the impromptu cons that uh, Chaosium did over the, over the past year or so, where it's just get online on discord and chat and have some panels and, and then it's gone. And yeah. so that was like, it's pretty fun. I, I certainly enjoy them. And I'm just one small slice of what goes on at the Impcons, and we want to do more of them. Yeah. They, they worked yeah. particularly well for COVID when it was harder to get together, but mm-hmm. it's such an easy thing for us to do is basically like, all right, this Saturday afternoon or evening, let's just spend X hours and we'll basically, they, they're really glorified. Ask me anything sessions. Yeah. Yeah. But it's, I, I really like that because I I'm chatting with people yeah. just like yourselves about whatever leaps to mind. And mm-hmm. you know, it's great to see old friends yeah, and make new ones. It's a lot of fun. So Cool. Uh, thank you again. Uh, we're going to let you go and uh, hopefully see you at Chaosium Con. Cheers. Oh, definitely be there. It's in my hometown after all. So. Yeah, actually, yes. <laughs> I, don't, I have to travel the least to get there. It's just 10 minutes down the road. Yeah, nice. But thanks again, guys. I always enjoy chatting with you and thanks for having me on your show. And Yeah. Cool. Thanks. <laughs> Cheers. Thank you for listening to this episode of The God Learners. Our website is godlearners.com where you can find episodes, newsletters, and articles about Glorantha. Reach us via email at collective at godlearners.com or via Twitter or Facebook at The God Learners for any questions or feedback. We are The God Learners. Question everything to the void and beyond. beyond.